You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we are joined by... Larry Nemechek. How's it going, Larry? I'm Larry. Yes, it's going well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Larry, uh, you know, we had you on our non-Star Trek show to uh, talk about Star Trek, so it only makes sense now to have you on our Star Trek show to not talk about Star Trek. Kings of Paradox. Mm -hmm. You know, I just just close my eyes and go where I'm told, so. (laughs) Okay. And run into the wall. For, For those of you who don't know who Larry is, I don't know how that's possible but he is uh oh, one of the, the 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 foremost authorities on star trek in the world and um yeah it's great to have you on the show finally oh great thanks for having me yeah this is this is a cha- this is something i hadn't thought about in a while so it was kind of interesting all right yeah it, what, what we're talking about uh this week is uh part three this is part three in our our series on nicholas meyer as a director and we're talking about his second movie the day after now, Larry, you have a unique relationship with this movie in that you're actually in the movie. Yeah, for all of about three seconds. I, I found the shot that you're in, and it's an amazing shot. And, and if you're okay with it, I totally want to put it up on the website. Oh, no, go, go for it. Go for it, yeah. <laughs> all right, cool. We'll be selling autograph copies in the lobby at... <laughs> oh, the- come on. Now I've got to do that. <laughs> now I've got to get that printed out in high quality and have you, Larry Nemechek, sign that frame from <laughs> yeah. that movie... Oh my goodness! Yeah, why are you in this movie? What, what's what's the deal well, with okay. that? Okay, the, the the day after, uh, I don't know how much of this you've set up already. Is is about a, a nuclear exchange, and and it was um, follows different, totally midwestern, all American, you know, city around the, Kansas City in particular is an urban center, but Lawrence, Kansas, which was about forty miles to the west of um, Kansas City, KCMO. Kansas City, Missouri, and there is a Kansas City, Kansas, but west of the urban area, and, and Lawrence is the home of the University of Kansas, the Jayhawks, big basketball school, crappy football school. Um, in the and I, I live in Oklahoma, so a I'm near there. The Big Eight, then now the Big Twelve conference, you know, had had uh, OU and Kansas and all that. But the biggest thing was, I had a friend going to KU in grad school in theater. And I was about to start my uh, two years as a grad student in theater and get my master's uh, at, at Lawrence in 1982. And uh, he had been there a year ahead of me. And they had a lot of the action happening in Lawrence. So basically I was in town. I was coming, arriving into town that fall to start school. Um, and all summer long, the day, you know, Nick Meyer and his crew had moved into Lawrence in the spring. And they had been shooting all summer long. So my friend Vaughn had been there the year before, and he was hanging on the summer over. And and you know, basically, they came into town and they did Hollywood comes to your town. They, you know, they used a ton of extras. They used locations, and it's the day after. And if you know the show, I mean, there's tons of outdoor scenes of people. And they have yeah. to show. They have a lot. Of, oh, they're cast in Hollywood people, but they came in. They cast a lot of people locally. Jack Wright, who was a big director, a big uh, theater professor and director, and had done a lot of things and had a Hollywood tie. 
was the local coordinator and so got tons of theater and film students involved, lots of locations and locals. They used the Allen, the famous Allen Fieldhouse, the home of the basketball Jayhawks, was a big triage center that you see. And, you know, tons of, you know, now we'd go, oh, it's zombie makeup. But they did tons of radiation <laughs> burn makeup on people. So, you know, they, they, it was just basically Lawrence-centric. And I was just happily moving into the middle of this. And so I got there the middle of August when they were really only had two or three weeks left to go. And my friend Vaughn, who'd been bucking to get on camera, I think he'd done it once or twice in a huge 5,000 people on, <laughs> on, on camera, you know, moment. Uh, he had said, oh, look, there's another thing. There was a call out and they needed about... 20 or 30 college students for just a little reaction shot. And he's like, on a Sunday, I think. And so we went over, and um, well, I, I don't, that's what the scene I'm in. So that's, but that's basically, I think, I, I was getting to know Lawrence. You know, I was moving to a new place in that school mentality and getting to know all this. And at the same time, they were shooting a movie, they were wrapping it up. And everybody else I was just meeting had been involved with them for three or four months. So they were, Sad that it was ending, but I had a I overlapped a couple of weeks, and that's so that's that's how it, it just happened to be Lawrence, Kansas, and it just happened to be Nick Meyer directing, who had just done Wrath of Khan, which is the other odd you know irony. Yeah, and, and we'll get into that uh, in a little bit, but yeah, can't just be a coincidence. It must mean something. It's got to be destiny. Destiny. Yes, well, that's what I've learned from the new Star Trek films. <laughs> See now, if the Kelvin blows up, there's. We'll never meet, and you'll never have to go pull a frame to chase me down to have it signed at Vegas. That's <laughs> that's the thread of this universe that would change if the Kelvin blew up this time. Okay, yeah. but but it is cool, and you can totally see Larry, and you can totally tell that it's Larry, and we'll we'll put up the frame. Well, um, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the day after, it it is um, a documentary about what happens when somebody finally decides to use nuclear weapons. Yeah, not 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 a documentary exactly, but uh, yeah. yeah, but a, a uh, it, it was made in, in 1982. It aired in 1983. Uh, you know, right at the height of the Cold War, and the film is really about. What I don't would know happen. if 83 was the height of the Cold War. Well, during during the middle of the Cold War, okay, okay it was yeah. spiking again. We, we yeah. had yeah. Detente, you know the you know the Cuban Missile Crisis and all the things of the 50s, 60s, and right. then we had detente for about 10 years, and things were easing up, and then Reagan came in, and everything got. You know the the evil empire, and he things got hide again, and right. yeah. he had the no nukes movement was launching. Exactly. Yeah, and I, uh, this, this movie was a big deal. When, when I mean, when I was a kid, they taught us about nuclear weapons, and the day after aired, and I know I saw it when I was a kid, and uh, traumatized me permanently. And <laughs> but just I mean, just so that people know, it, it is about what would happen if America and Russia went to nuclear war, and. You know the the effects of that, and it's basically all told from the perspective of, you know, Kansas City slash Lawrence, Kansas. You know this this very uh, this area, and and they don't really branch out from there. It's all you know. You don't see. You don't get like a, a worldwide view of the event. It's all told like from the ground. You know these people. You know in this town. Yeah, it's told. It, the, it's somewhat the the facts are somewhat fudged in some weird peculiar ways in order to make it function as a story. But, but it, it is it is essentially like a location where people are still alive. Yeah, and uh, they probably wouldn't be. Odds are, with that many nuclear well, weapons being exchanged, odds are most of them but, wouldn't survive. And they actually, well, you know, say watching that. it last night, I mean, it's it's it, they're basically talking about you know the nukes were tar were and are targeted at population centers and yeah. also at the launch sites. So what you kind of kept that image of the two mushroom clouds over Kansas City, it's like, well, here they're hitting a, a, 
they're hitting a metro center mm-hmm. and presumably doing it all over the country. And but now you're forty, fifty miles. You're away from you know ground zero, the original definition of ground zero. Um, and here's what happens. And eventually, you know, the radiation fallout and sickness and nuclear winter catches up with everybody. Yeah. But it, you know, at least for the time being, everybody at, at ground zero is fried. Yeah. In the blast radius and the electromagnetic pulse knock. You know, they tried to track a lot of that stuff. But we yeah, they play the yeah. story forty-five miles away, where it you know it doesn't hit you right off, but eventually gets you. Yeah, we can imagine that there are places that were utterly wiped off the map, and there were other places where it would probably take a few months to even see what mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. ramifications were. But, I mean, like, this is sort of like a borderland between those two locations where yeah. everyone dies slowly and horribly. And, and they, do, they do say... <laughs> they, they, they do say at the end of the movie they have, you know, like a title card where it says, you know... This the, was an optimistic appraisal. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they, they literally <laughs> say that. They're like, you know, odds are a yeah. nuclear war would be a lot worse than the events depicted here, <laughs> which yeah. just makes it even, even all the more terrifying. Yeah, yeah. But, Larry, what are your thoughts on the movie in general? It's depressing and powerful. And, uh, I mean, it's not high art as drama. You know, so there's like four, five, six groups of people they follow as a story. You set up all these characters and scenarios and you get the rhythm of their life. And in the background, there's a looming international crisis yeah. between the U.S. and the USSR. And it's just, it, and it's played through their eyes. It's not like there's anybody playing the president. The, big, the biggest thing was the hammer this took to, because this was right when the no nukes movement was starting. People yeah. were scared about Reagan being a sable rattler. And uh, whatever your politics are and the memory of, of Reagan, and there's nine times out of ten, it's already kind of uh, you know, uh, become glossy. But the, the first year or two, he was looked at as a, as a crazy right-wing sable rattler who was going to get us into a nuclear war with Russia by a I, lot of people. I think and, the narrative and, has changed And he later somewhat. backtracked on – a lot of people credit this movie as – and he does, I think, has said yeah. that this changed his outlook on a lot of things. I think that but, the Reagan narrative has shifted somewhat. I think now people generally think of him as someone who was kind of stupid but for all intents and purposes actually pretty decent. The other side of the day after was it was so intense and it was so serious and so searing. You were talking about having trauma when you were a kid mm-hmm. that, you know, when they showed this, it was so – I mean, politically, some people said, well, this is just one big PSA for the no nukes movement. But apart from that, it was just so depressing that a lot of sponsors – I think ABC – bottom line was ABC wound up showing like the first half hour or the last half hour of it or the last half of it. I think it was a four-hour movie. It was more than your extended two-hour thing, and they thought about showing it like part one and part two, and they went, no, we need to show this all at once in one night. And then the last half of it had no commercials. Yeah, and there there was like Mm -hmm. one sponsor, you know, I mean, they do that thing Mm -hmm. on occasion, like they did it with Schindler's List and stuff like that. They hardly ever do it. But But partly it was was the dramatic interruption of TV, but part of it was... They they couldn't get any sponsors. Yeah, they couldn't sell them. You you don't want want to be like watching the day after and watch Jason Robarts die of radiation poisoning and then have a commercial for Tide. Right, yeah. Get your clothes white, even if you're going to be dying in them. Meyer talked about how creatively Copper I think that would have been hilarious. <laughs> it would have. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Meyer talked in his in his book about how uh, that I think creatively worked in his advantage. You know, because they wanted to make it like a two night, four hour event, and he wanted it to be all one night. And he also thought that there were you know that was too long. There was too much padding. So he ended up you know getting it down to you know the three hour with commercials running time, and. Uh, um, getting it all into one night, I think, basically because no one wanted to 
you know, sponsor the th- it. The thing is, like, the movie does have that sort of, like, TV structure where it has, like, this really long, drawn-out opening. Yeah. But actually, once the, the, the nukes start flying, like, it dramatically just clips along really, mm-hmm. really, really fast. And it doesn't feel long. The first half feels long. Mm-hmm. Like following all the little people in their yeah. groups of people in their scenarios. Yeah, that yeah. all feels yeah. like like that sort of like event television kind of logic where like you establish these characters and their, you know, yeah. stereotypical lives. That all feels rather lame, but once it starts going down, the movie actually just moves as well as anything. Mm-hmm can I, I mean it's it, it it works very well dramatically yeah i still and i've forgotten it till i watched it last night but the scene where speaking of bb bash who played the original Kara marcus um is married to uh oh it makes me mad that i can't think of his name but he like i said he was hauling on northern exposure um when they're going into their they're the farm couple and they're the farm family and he's got his his kids and they're all going to yeah. the cellar you know, they're not going down yeah. for a tornado they're going down for and she's, she's making the bed. And she's making the bed <laughs> and making a very crisp, you know, hospital corner on her sheet. And he literally has to go up and grab her and bring her down. Because, and, you know, and it's a great – it's like reacting. It's like you're so incredulously reacting to what's happening that the only thing you can do is cling to your routine. And the fact that you give up your routine in her, her brain is breaking because that's a, that's a, that's a, all is gone. All is lost. You know, she'd rather die doing her routine than run away from it because of the how horrible and how awful that what that really means. And he, she's yeah. kicking and screaming at him as he grabs her and drags her down into the, you know, and sobbing. There's a, there's a moment like a, li- a little bit after that where you know, like a little girl is like, "Well, what's going on?" And he's like, "Things are going to be really different from now on." Yeah. And anybody watching it at that point, it's going to be saying, "No, that's not accurate. Things are going to be nothing from now on." Yeah. The actor's name is John Cullum. Thank you. I just felt bad because I'm such a Northern Exposure fan. I just went. I knew there were a million Johns on the show. I think, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was also very fond of this movie. I I think it's really good. You know, it's terrifying, but you know, it does a really good job of showing. Say, fond is an interesting word choice, but yeah. Yeah, it, it's you know, it does a really good job of showing the the horrors of nuclear war, and I think it effectively you know scared people into. Uh, avoiding it you know at least it, it played a small part in that um so yeah I, I i would i think you know this was 20 years after the cuban missile crisis and and the generations turn over faster than we think and now looking back at it i think for the people the generation that had gotten a little complacent as we started to get into the salt treaties and talk mm-hmm. about you know the the detente era and i think it took it that really kind of slapped people back to the 50s and you know cuban missile crisis Mentality of being how close we could, you know, how we could really be a hair's trigger away from doing this. Only it, it the technology had improved, you know, a hundred times since the 60s and everything was like a bomber. Now, here we have, you know, ICBMs and missiles and nobody even has to be on a plane, yeah. you know, or launch a submarine. You can just, they're just out there and they're out there waiting to happen. It's like a ticking time bomb, you know, uh, more or less. Um, just because they're tucked away into the ground under the docile feels of the great American plains doesn't mean that they're this lethal, you know, killing machine that not only kill their target but would kill the whole planet. So, now, there's, a, there's a great line where he, where somebody says "stupid" gets its way. It's off. It often does. And yeah, it's a way of saying you know the, there's no way this could possibly actually turn into nuclear war. And then somebody says, "People are pretty stupid. It could definitely turn into nuclear war." Yeah, mm-hmm. and then it does. 
I think that that is a really interesting point because, like, all of that, like, Germany, Russia stuff, that's actually really irrelevant. The idea is, like, you know, when you've got nuclear weapons pointed at each other, like, one slip up and everything's over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that, like, there's a, there's a detente. It's more like, this is a stupid situation, period. Just, just stop. Now, you, you were actually, you know, living in that town when this movie aired and everything during this time period when this climate existed. You know, what, what was that like? Were you scared? Oh, there was a – well, no, not scared, but that's really interesting. Now, again, I had just moved to Lawrence. I got in the tail end of that whole thing. But for the people that had been there all year long, it was like, let's, let's play dress up. It really was a, oh, this is so cool. Hollywood's coming to town. We're yeah. not a bunch of rubes, but it's a university community. But there was so, and so many community. Like you see those scenes of all the, the radiation dying people in, in Allen Fieldhouse. You know, there's hundreds of people in there, and they literally used a ton of town. They had three or four of the down. It, it wasn't Maine or Broadway. The downtown street of Lawrence is Massachusetts. And um, they literally had several blocks of, of Mass Street blocked off, and they you know dirtied the you know wrecked them, and they had the car wrecks and all those scenes of people doing stupid things in the panic. Um, whether or not you're supposed to think that's Kansas City or not, but that was that was Lawrence, so they blocked all that off. They they wrecked it. I, I saw the I saw it after I saw it many days after um, you know the shooting because they'd already done that by the time I got to town. But they had the whole town involved. People were doing, students could come and help, you know, makeup and film and all that. And it went along, went along, went along. I was there. They got they did another couple of weeks. They wrapped. They left town. By the time this aired, there there was like a, a carnival atmosphere in town. Oh, and they had like big, huge showings for everybody locally. People could all go to big mass, you know, screens and see it in town. And I just remember being there. I didn't drag through the whole process, but I intellectually knew what happened, and I was on the tail end of it. But to take it from this carnival atmosphere of oh, Hollywood's in town, and the night that it aired, and people all saw it together. <laughs> And it's like Lawrence came out. It's kind of like when the German people that lived near the concentration camps were made to go in the camps, mm-hmm. you know, and they were all like, we had no idea this was right here. It's like everybody came out of the thing like, oh, yeah, that's what, what, we, that's what our play acting was really all about. You know, it's like, it was like the whole town was in shock. And as it approached that, I, I shouldn't say that it was just the moment of seeing it. As it got there, there was actually a local organization, all, the, the local no-nukes movement started a group called Let Lawrence Live. And the night of the showing they had candlelight vigils. They you know, for what could have happened, what could happen if, you know, we wiped out because it brought it home so much. And all those people, again, the carnal atmosphere of being in a show, if they if they weren't sobered already going into it, they were by the time they saw it. But I somewhere I have uh some flyers and some things. They were they were like I said, they were there were events and meetups and there were several candlelight vigils around you know, being a university community kind of accelerated that, but um, that was the name. the The name of the group and the events were called "Let Lawrence Live." Well, the movie was it was released in in you know 1983, November 20th, 1983 was the release date. Um, that was obviously you know just about a little over a year after Wrath of Khan was released, um, and uh, it was Meyer's follow up to Wrath of Khan. And in the book, he says that he was reluctant to make the movie uh, not because it wasn't good he thought it was a, a very good script but he just didn't want to spend a year of his life dealing with 
that subject matter. Being um, depressed. Exactly. Yeah. Probably two years of his life being depressed. Yeah. But he did it because he felt that it needed to be done, and um, so he just made me deal with it for the rest of my childhood. Right. Exactly. That's what he wants. Thanks, you know, in particular, you know, he he thought that you know when when he he heard that Reagan saw it and and took it to heart, you know that you know sort of I think made it all worth it to him. But uh, as as a Star Trek fan, um, in that you know that summer, I guess is when when it was being made. Like Wrath of Khan had just come out. You know, at at the point that you had shot your your scene um you you knew that that it was nicholas meyer and and all those other guys who had worked on on wrath of khan working on this one uh, yes i was aware of that in fact after as it was winding down but before they totally packed up and left town uh nick had a little in the uh in the little arena box theater in our theater building uh they had a little q a session for students and Nick just had a question and answer session about shooting, and I was, you know, fairly brand new to town, but went over and knew a few people. But anyway, and I was in theater, and grad student, and went over and um, uh, because I, no, I was well aware that he had just done Rathacon, and it was a huge success and all that. And you I were, even, you, were, you were a Star Trek fan at that point, and I oh yeah, and I had already been down yeah. to you know the Ultimate Fantasy, which turned into the Con of Wrath that I'm doing my documentary on. I mean, I, that, that had all already happened. That was in June, you know. Rathacon oh my god, that wow! But he had this. He had a, like a Sunday afternoon Q and A session, and I remember going and people and, and a lot of the people in the audience obviously had been students who'd worked. You know, and had been like interns, and all, and gotten a lot of experience and a lot of eyeballs on making a you know major uh, uh, you know production. And I went in, and I during this Q and A, I did. I see. I'm trying to madly remember this. I did ask him some question. I had enough couth because I'd worked in news already mm-hmm. too. I had enough couth to know not to be a goober fan. And but I wanted to ask him about. I wanted to ask him a Rathacon question while I had him right there, mm-hmm. and if I could tie it into the day after and, and look even cooler, you know, <laughs> subtle, I would do that. And I just I can't remember now what I asked him. It wasn't you know it wasn't like it wasn't some stupid fan question. It was a halfway professional question. But I just remember him looking at me and being able to figure out that yes i was serious and i was sitting there and i wasn't drooling or anything i knocked you know we didn't have cheetos crumbs on our fingers back then but uh i just remember him probably now in hindsight instantly realizing that he looked at me knew i was a trek fan masquerading as a normal person and doing a pretty good <laughs> job of it and he just said he just said i he he didn't beg it off he basically said i you know i really wanted to just talk about the day after today kind of a thing mm. You, you or he gave him. me a very quick answer, and he wasn't curt, and he wasn't you know like get out of here. This was for this you know no trekkies here. Get out of here. Um, it wasn't anything like that at all. He just very deftly, kind of said, or he answered me you know in ten words, and then got back to day after. Or if I had tried to tie it into some aspect of <laughs> making day after, also he kind of did that and got off. He basically was polite and nice and got off of me in twenty words. <laughs> <laughs> Also, yeah, I wanted to tell you about shooting that actual the day of what that was like too, but uh, just my one little corner of it. But well, well go ahead. Yeah, so what 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 happened? Today well, like I said, it was like I'd been there for a week or two. I think it was. I want to say it was the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, actually. <laughs> and I knew they were they. My friend Vaughn, who had been all into it, because he he already knew the university community, and the and the KU theater community, who were you know that and the film school were all tied into this big time. Um. And he was not only my guide to – I was just still getting to know my way around town, much less what was going on with this. 
and he said, oh, so-and-so, they need about 30 students on this scene on, on uh, Sunday, just a bunch of extras. You wanna, here's your chance to be in it. Come on. And he's like, I've never been really on camera, but there's only 30 people, not 5,000, so we may actually be seen. Mm-hmm. You know? So we went, and, and we, we went over to a place. We got on a bus. They herded us around. Um, we just, I was like, just come as students. Just come as students looking. Okay. We got on a bus. We went downtown. And whatever AD, you know, second AD or something was with us said, okay, we're not going to shoot for a while, but we thought you all would like to watch them shoot. And they actually – it was when downtown was torn up, and it's the scene of when Jason Robarbs finally gets back to Lawrence, and he's walking – they show him walking down through the wreckage. And it's not only just wrecked, but it's all been kind of blackened. And he's kind of – and they do a pullback where they show him walking through the debris or something, yeah. and then they pull back, and you have the matte painting of the background. We watched him film him just picking his way through the cars, you know, all the, the wrecked storefronts in the cars. So that was a lot of hurry up and wait for two or three hours, but it was kind of exciting because I'd never done that. Then they got us all back on a bus and the whole, you know, five minutes and ten blocks back over to campus. And that, that's, I forget what building it is, but it's a big campus uh, classroom building with exterior stairs uh, that you can see from the student's point of view. And they did, and they liked that because, you could see because the whole point of this was the missiles are launching and it's reaction shots. It's like reaction shots yeah. of all these different people, farmers and urban people, and you know wherever people are in life, they all hear the roar that they've never heard before. Look out and they go, "Oh my God, we've launched the missiles!" And that was the the bit. And this was supposed to be supposedly a bunch of college kids running out of their classrooms, hearing this roar because everybody thinks it's an earthquake, it's a tornado. No, it's launching missiles. And actually, what we shot was. Um, was we actually had everybody it was a blank frame with just the outer stairwall you know the outdoor stairwall where it's exposed to air mm. and uh this big concrete kind of thing of several floors stacked and you get that idea when you see the one little frame of it and they actually had us run into frame they actually lined everybody up and gave us marks you're here you're here you're here now back off like now come running out like you've been in your classroom you're all kind of coming out the doors and you've all kind of run out here, and then and you're going, oh my God, they're really launching now. Everybody had a mark, and they kind of equidistanced everybody up and down, like it's you know back and forth mm-hmm. along the thing and up the stairs, so that when you look at it as a as a camera composition, it's a it's a zed, you know, yeah, it's a zed back and forth, foreground to background. Yeah. But apparently, when they aired, all it's just a stock thing. After we've stopped in place to look, I imagine. <laughs> You had a bunch of 20-something college kids, and when you gave them a mark and then said, now run off, now run into your mark, it looked like everybody going, oh, we're all running into frame to stand where we're supposed to stand and then look out and point, you know, like some kind of bad B-movie, you know, yeah. <gasps> oh, yeah. look, you know, and they cut, anyway, so they cut, they didn't use the three or four seconds of us running into frame and, and looking out, so it just has us standing there. Now, the funny thing is, on the personal side, so here's my friend who's been there all summer, who's helped out, he's helped out, he's done makeup. He's been in mass scenes in makeup, but he's like, here, this is our chance to really be on camera. And I'm the new guy that just got into town. And he drags me over, and this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. We go watch Jason Robarb shoot downtown. Okay, now they take us over, and they're doing our thing. So we're in the big group of people. So here's the AD walking along and placing people. And he starts, um, he starts and he goes down the line, and then, and then it goes back again. And then it comes back, and this is like a zigzag, the way it looks on camera. And then we go up the stairs, and we're going up, and he's putting people on almost every stair. And the higher you get, the more you're ducking under the floor above you. 
and it gets to the last thing, and it's, there's about uh, six or eight of us left. And he's getting up, and it's actually – you get the idea in the moment that there's way more bodies than there's going to be places because we're literally going up the stairs and closing out. There's only going to be yeah. a few more people, and then you'll get blocked out by this – you'll be up out of camera. And my friend was the last – my friend Vaughn was the last one they put on the stairs before the cutoff – the line of sight cuts you off. And I was like – you know, I was like going, oh, crap. Did all this and now I won't be on camera. It was obviously like the last spot, and there were still about five or six of us. And it's like, well, crap. Okay, so I won't be on. Big deal. And he's kind of going, ha, ha, ha. He's, since he's a friend, he can do this and go, ha, 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 ha. I got in and you didn't. Ha, 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 ha. But hasn't it been an experience? Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> So what was funny was then, but he's like the very last person in the back at the back right in the foreground. I think he's wearing a brown shirt that I saw. So this other six or eight of us, we're all thinking, okay, well, for like a nanosecond, we're going, okay, oh well, it's been interesting to be here and just watch. And before we could even say anything, the AD goes, okay, the rest of you guys come with me. So we come like all the way back down the stairs, <laughs> come all the way back down through where everybody else is standing, and come down to oh. This is on camera. This is the foreground. Like, oh, we'll st-. she's like, okay, now for you guys. So they're like four or five people right in front. <laughs> so she's putting us down there. So I'm like fourth in from the very. So I'm like the fourth person in the in the foreground. <laughs> so when you guys saw that scene, that was like that was like the total little icing on the cake at the end. Now, what's funny is also is I had worn just a normal shirt, and they actually had wardrobe. There to pipe, to you know, speak it up, and they and uh, she had a that blue two tone blue shirt, kind of polo shirt. Actually, says I heart Ku on it, <laughs> and um, and she had me put that on, and I did, which now you you can't even see it no. in the frame. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to be a Ku student. Well, I better wear the costume. But so that was a little another, another little moment. But and it was a if, fake beard, right? That was just and good. that was they, a fake. They beard. gave that to you, and you just yeah. thought it looked yeah. good. Here, so you, you need with to have it? a collegiate beard. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's my good old beard I had since high school. But, um, but no, it was just it's on a personal level. It was very funny because I always got to rib him about. He thought you know he was the last one in the shot, and then they plot me. I'm the kid that just shows up in town, and he's worked all summer long, <laughs> and I'm the one they put down in the foreground. So that was so. Um, any any final thoughts on the movie, Larry? Well, it just I mean watching it again last night to prep for you guys. It it that rid the whole the attack scene. It's just riveting and watching them actually fry the people to you know it was it was a conceit the way they did it fry the bones and all that but when you remembered seeing the documentaries about Hiroshima and how people were flash fried on the sidewalk and you you basically came back and saw the body material you know it's like the dead body outline in chalk yeah mm-hmm. in your standard uh, police procedural you know who done it only those weren't chalk lines around a dead body that was the flash of of white powder residue on the sidewalks where people were flash fried, you know, that were close enough to the actual blast. And to do that and then to have, you know, I didn't have an emotional tie to Lawrence, but I know a lot of the scenes they were doing was the stuff they shot downtown and the night that they showed it to everybody in town. And if, you know, you could be intellectually afraid, mad, angry about the nuclear, you know, uh, potential and be part of the no nukes movement. Mm -hmm. But then you added the emotion of not only are you intellectually, you know, at the time there locally, maybe we're in the let Lawrence live and we're all into doing the visuals and the no nukes candlelight vigils and all that. But then to have the emotion of seeing yourself and your neighbors and your town wiped out. But then, you know, but that's, that's halfway through this. And then the rest, the, the last 
I'd say five-eighths of it is uh, everybody walking around slowly dying. Bottom line for me is I watch this again, and um, I'm still against nuclear weapons. All right. Cool. Yeah. That is the correct <laughs> opinion. What about you, Max? Any final thoughts? Um, I have no memory of seeing this as a child. Yeah. But I have had, since I was in the second grade, uh, which lines up to about a year and a half after this aired, uh, recurring nightmares of nuclear war. And watching this recently was shocking because so many of my nightmares have the same exact imagery as this. But I must have seen this. You, mm-hmm. you imprinted a lot more than you remember. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, and, yeah, nuclear war, I, I, I'm still traumatized by the idea that there are still nuclear weapons all over the place. Yeah. I'm, I will eternally be horrified by the idea that everyone in the world is not outraged by the mere existence of these weapons. I, I agree that, you know, the movie's really good, but not at all fun to watch, you know. Um, but at, at the same well, it time... Ha, it has flaws, as, just as a movie. It's, it, it's, it has, it has some flaws. It's not perfect art, but that, yeah. that wasn't the point. It was one big... Yeah. The people who were critiquing it as being a three-hour PSA for no nukes, they were exactly right. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, this... Like, it, that's bad. It's like, yeah. it's like, this isn't as good as, you know, Wrath of Khan or Undiscovered Country, but... It might have had a small part in saving the world, and you can't really ask mm-hmm. for much more than that. So, hold on, anthropic principle: we're here. Yeah. So obviously, the world wasn't destroyed. Uh huh. Yeah. So talking about what made it not happen is irrelevant. Well, because obviously, it didn't happen. Yes, but well, any time you could affect the thick skull of of Reagan, mm-hmm. you're talking about something that had some public good. So right. So. Uh, Larry, where, where can people find you? I know you, you've got uh, what is. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, the portal, the best way, I guess, is still LarryNemichek.com. And uh, my TreklandBlog.com has the blog. And the Connor Rath documentary, I think I even wedged in Edgeways in there somewhere, is still there. And uh, if this is airing, if you're dropping this on uh, May tra- 24th, this is the world premiere day of. Uh, of uh, Star Trek Continues, where I play McCoy, and uh, it's at Phoenix Comic Con, but it'll be online everywhere soon. Awesome! Cool. So as soon as you're done listening to this, be sure to go and uh, check yep. that out. And yep. uh, oh, and we have one week to go on signups uh, for the Star Trek tour this year, the week before Vegas convention. So everybody, check that out too. Uh, GeekNationTours.com. Cool. All right. Cool. Well. Um, Thank you very much for for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, um, this is always fun. Yeah, it was, it was great to to you know <laughs> hear, hear the perspective of someone who was actually there when it was all going down. It was well, it was a tiny you know a tiny little corner of the whole picture. Don't don't let anybody uh, just, get that wrong. But, but it was but still amazing. Just just like the movie itself, you know, showing a tiny yes. little corner of a larger event to sort of give an idea of what it was like to actually be there. So that's exactly right. Yeah, it's yeah. been fun to go back and re- and rethink some of those memories too. So thanks, guys. Yeah. As always, you can find us uh, on our other website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, or on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. We will be back next week with John Tenuto to talk about uh, Nicholas Meyer's third movie, Volunteers.